So the first investment property I bought was in the Newcastle area and it was £55,000 mm. and it was a two-bedroom flat, um, like a two-bedroom masonette. Mm. So my deposit on that was, I think, 13500 which is 25%. Mm. And that rents out at... Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host, my bro Jax. How are you today, man? Peter, I'm very well. I'm very good. Um, you know, As I said very recently, uh, it's getting closer and closer to the summer, which really excites me because I am a summer baby. I like the sun and I don't like the cold. So I'm pretty good. Today, as we're shooting this episode, it is quite warm and yeah, I'm pretty excited. No, absolutely. And obviously we linked up earlier today because we played a bit of football with some of our old school uh, friends um, and me and you were both from the winning team. So another reason to be happy. Well, I mean, my history shows that I'm usually on the on a winning team. So <laughs> silly, silly, silly. Uh, OK, then, but no, nice to uh, speak to you right now, bro. Um, and yeah, just a massive um, shout out to all of our listeners um, all over the world. Um, keep doing what you're doing, liking, subscribing, commenting and sharing um, what you hear on the podcast as well and all of that good stuff. We really do appreciate you and your support. Today, we do have a special episode with a special guest with us. So we are going to just um, give her a shout and then take a deep dive into what this episode is going to be about, which is going to be linking on the topic of property investing and um, topics relating to that as well. So without further ado, we're going to welcome our guest, Ruth. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? You've heard Jack's Harry's doing. He's in a good mood. I'm in a good mood as well. It's a warm day. It's, yeah, the um, sun always makes everyone in a good mood. Exactly, exactly. A bit shattered from football, but we move, man. Uh, we move. Um, how's things on your side? I guess uh, what we like to do as well, and particularly when we have a guest um, on the show, just want to find out a bit more about them and a bit more about their background as well. But um, yeah, first of all, how are you just in general? What's going on with you? Yeah, all good, all good. Just quite busy. Um, I'm in the process of moving. So I've been mm. spending the past couple of weeks packing and getting ready for that and, you know, work and life. <laughs> so just all the usual things. <laughs> <laughs> now I can imagine imagine and um I'm sure you talk to us a bit more about that process of moving because it's of course linked to property yeah. um but just on that in terms of life and uh, work do you want to just um introduce yourself and let our listeners know a bit more about you and myself and Jax sure so um my name's Ruth <laughs> and um I met Jax or connected with Jax uh was it last year or some sometime during one of the lockdowns um just because I've been following him online and was quite interested in um you know investing in stocks um so I became a client of his and we got chatting um because I'm interested in investments but more so from the property side of things Mm. um, which is something I do alongside my day job which is working within the recruitment sector it, 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 feel, it feels like just yesterday but at the same time it feels like it was a long time ago I think it's, it was probably about a year a year or over a year ago yeah, about, about a year and a half I think yeah 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 and, and who knew you'd be a, a 
a guest on on, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, just a massive welcome and thank you very much in advance, Ruth. Uh, Jax, we never really plug some of the work that you do outside of Woke Fans. Obviously, you know, Ruth, Ruth has been um, a client of yours. Do you want to talk very quickly about what you do outside of um, Woke Finance, Jax? Yeah, so as, as most people probably know by now, I have a, a strong passion for financial education and um, investment guidance. Now, yes, I love personal finance, but what I specialize in, what I do in my career and where I have professional qualifications is much more on the investing side. And so what I do with, with uh, a side hustle called Jax Financial, J-A-X Financial, is I use kind of my professional uh, knowledge and experience um, from the investing world. And I try to help the everyday person get started on their journey. Now, it is not financial advice, so it is not a regulated service. So what I can do is provide the education and the guidance, but I can't tell people what to do. Um, and I actually prefer that. I prefer that because it is something that causes people, or forces people to actually learn um, and become educated about the world of uh, investing or generally personal finance as well. Um, and so for me, that brings more fulfillment as well, rather than just a side hustle, it brings me fulfillment because that knowledge can be passed on uh, to, to from generation to generation. So that's what I do. Um, I like to provide financial education in various forms, um, but I specialize much more on the investing side. Love it. And if someone's listening to this right now and they're saying, I want to get in touch with Jax, how can they do that? Yeah, I think the easiest way, uh, my preferred way is, is through email. So uh, my email is contact at jaxfinancial.co.uk. That's contact at jaxfinancial.co.uk. Uh, the website is jacksfinancial.co.uk as well if you want to take that route. Um, or you can follow me on social media as you can slide in my DMs. I am quite responsive. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thanks for that, Jax. Um, Ruth, back to you. Mm. Let us know a bit more about you in terms of your upbringing. Um, I mean, are you, with me and Jax are, of course, uh, London as well. Good to know a bit more about you, um, education as well, and how you got into where you are now in terms of your work, and then we can touch a bit <clears> more beyond that. Sure. So um, I am also a Londoner or South Londoner. Um, so I grew up um, in somewhere called Sutton, which is in mm. Surrey. Um, and grew up there before I went to uni um, in Liverpool. Um, I studied something completely different to what I'm doing now, which I think quite a lot of people do. Um, so my, I guess, my, my background before uni was that I was quite interested in dance and the performing arts world. Mm. Um, so I studied um, the, the full title of my degree was music, theatre and entertainment management. So it was all to do with, you know, like anything business related within the entertainment or performing arts industry. And that's kind of where I wanted my career to go down, but <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> um, and whilst I was at uni, I somehow became interested in property. Um, so it was two different things. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad which I think is the start of quite a lot of um, people's property journeys but I also had a really bad landlord that I ended up googling and um, I found out that he had hundreds of properties around Liverpool student properties and I just thought wow this is firstly I thought how dare he be such a bad landlord mm. <laughs> but then secondly I'm thinking gosh I wonder how much money he's making from all these hundreds of properties um, so once I'd graduated from uni and kind of came back home, I was trying to, you know, make it in the world as a graduate. I um, I always had it in the back of my head. It's like, actually, how can I get involved in property? Like it's something I'm really interested in. So I 
did a few different kind of property training courses and I know you know not everybody agrees with paying all the hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds even for these courses but they're not all horrendous um so I did that I'm glad I did it I don't regret doing it um I learned kind of I guess everything that I learned now and it put me on the right path to be able to learn how to well I guess learn multiple property strategies and Mm. figure out what was the best for me to get going um and that's what I did so I realized I wasn't going to kind of make a considerable amount of money in the the industry that I wanted to work in so I just Mm. thought let me just have a normal job um just a job to pay the bills so that I can focus on building a property portfolio wow that's that's very interesting Mm. I I remember um you know when people ask me things like Jax you know what 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 career path did you want to take when you were younger um well I mean to be really honest when I was really 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 young it was uh, a footballer right Uh, I wanted to become a footballer and uh, I had a passion for football um but for some reason um I wasn't good enough to get selected when I went to trials and that kind of stuff and sometimes uh, and I hope he doesn't listen to the episode my dad wouldn't actually let me go so he would actually force me uh to focus much more on my education so it is, it is really interesting I guess one of my questions is you know uh what what made you kind of choose a different route mm. um I don't think it's oh, do you know what it's really difficult to answer but I think a lot of it was to do with frustration so trying to get a job in the area I wanted to it became very apparent that it was nothing to do with my education or experience it's all about who you know and I didn't know the right people to open those doors for me (laughs) Um, and secondly I wanted money like I just I wanted to um, I wanted to start earning a living Um, I was doing a lot of unpaid internships and work experience and all that kind of thing that wasn't really leading anywhere so by the time I I guess got a proper job I was maybe I don't know let's say 22 so still relatively young Mm. but you know I wanted the big bucks (laughs) I didn't have the big bucks yet and I thought I'm probably not going to get there by having a normal job so that's one of the things that pushed me more towards property um and I guess I'd also seen um like once I started going to lots of networking events and meeting other people who were within the property world, I saw how lucrative it could be if you kind of really put your mind to it and stick at it. Mm. So I thought, yeah, I, I want to be able to be in charge of my future. I don't want to ever rely on somebody else for money. Um, and I thought that's, that's the way I'm going to do it. Love it. Love it. Um, now, thanks for that, Ruth. That's really clear. And before we take a deep dive into it do you want to tell us a bit more about right now how that's going for you you started your property journey a few years ago so are we talking what year would you say you started um so I bought my first property in 2015 okay um, yeah it, it has been a bit of a let's say roller coaster <laughs> yeah um so I guess 2015 was quite a while ago in my opinion up till now I have six properties which mm. I'm happy with and I'm grateful for I would have loved to have more by this point but life takes you in different directions and 
I, I only have the six, which again, I'm not trying to say that six isn't good. But... Only, I said <laughs> only <laughs> have the six. <laughs> only. Um... You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm only a millionaire. I'm only a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, I know... think back in, back in 2015, I had this big idea that, you know, after two years of doing this I'll mm. be financially free I'll be like a millionaire I'll be living life and mm. you know it's not as easy as they make it out to be mm. um and yeah I guess other things got in the way work got in the way life got in the way yeah I guess I guess the you say big idea but I guess it's for me it's more so big ambition ambition um, yeah. yeah and it's and it's and it's great to have that ambition um and yes you know on our journey uh, on our personal finance journey whether it's through property or different asset classes um life life does come at us you know life does happen um and sometimes we need to there's sometimes uh, speed bumps i call them on the road um sometimes there's traffic lights sometimes there's other drivers that just get in our way and stop us from getting to our destination quicker mm. um but it's all about you know moving in the right direction and continue to step on the gas pedal to move forward yeah exactly that absolutely so now thanks for that's really useful to know just where you are in terms of you know your uh current property portfolio um which is amazing by the way so definitely congrats on the progress um thus far in just the past seven years or so so we're gonna probably go to that and take focus on that first property but before we do that um focusing on i guess your younger self at the moment myself and jacks for the best part of 2022 we've been doing a lot of work um on woke finance in terms of delivering workshops and sessions and programs to young people predominantly in london but in other parts of the uk as well um and we're delivering workshops around personal finance and to young people anything from the ages 13 to 21 right now we're working on a program for 16 to 21 year olds so my question to you and focusing on that younger self um maybe when you were around 16 to 18 if you was to meet that 16 to 18 year old Ruth right now knowing what you know now on this personal finance journey what advice would you give that young lady Mm, good question um I would probably say to to continue doing what I was doing back then Mm. so at the age of 16 I was actually running my first business (laughs) wow (laughs) okay (laughs) so um I I had a a dance school Mm. that I started I think I was 15 when I started that along with two friends because we we wanted to start earning money and we weren't old enough to get our national insurance cards yet so we thought, let's do what we know how to do, which is dance and teach dance. So we set up a, a, a business and that was really successful for for what it was at that time. Um, and yeah, I guess I was, I was always quite ambitious and always quite driven. And that's something that I had probably from way before being 16. And it's continued to kind of help me to get to where I am now. So yeah, my advice would be <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Wow. No, I love that advice, man. And I wish I met you then in terms of the dance school, because I'll be a much better dancer than I am now. So I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think anything can save you. <laughs> uh, no, that's brilliant, man. And yeah, great advice for your younger self and hopefully for some of our younger listeners as well. So um, we've going back to, I guess, you know, around that 2014, 15, you've just done one or two courses you've read some books you've quoted rich dad poor dad um what would you say was the defining moment where you decided you know because 
to go into property investing uh, straight away, that's a huge thing. That's a huge commitment. But what was that defining moment that's, that made you say, I'm going to do it? So I think it was probably about two years before I bought the first property that I would have started the property training and the education. And I've been umming and ahhing about it all. Mm. And to be honest, I think I, I was, I just really needed that push and I was on a course and I met this couple and they were considerably older than me, kind of, I guess, maybe late fifties, early sixties, really nice couple from Newcastle. Mm. And they really encouraged me to say, look, you know what you're doing, you know what you want, just go for it. And the issue that I was struggling with at the time was trying to pick the area I wanted my investment properties to be in. I had originally chosen Liverpool because that's where I went to university and I knew the area quite well. But in terms of the strategy that I was trying to achieve, I, I wasn't getting the offers accepted at the price point I needed in order for the, you know, for the property to be a, a success. Mm. So they invited me to come and spend the weekend with them in Newcastle or just outside of Newcastle where they live. And I think if I hadn't have done that and if I hadn't met them, if our paths hadn't crossed, if we hadn't been in the same place at the same time, I don't know if I, you know, I probably still would have done property, but I think Mm. they really helped me and gave me that um, encouragement and kickstart that I needed. Wow. Wow. Um, Shout out to the, the, the couple in Newcastle. Are you still in touch with them? Yeah, I'm still in touch with them, you know, every Christmas they'll send a card and we you know send a text here and there throughout the year but I'm very very grateful for them and yeah I think if if I hadn't have met them at the time that I did I don't know if my property journey journey would have started in the way that it did wow wow um and Jax I know you just bought your property which you you know your first one's your your residential roof why um would you say that you I guess started with a as a uh, property investment for your first property so that wasn't the intention um I when I was I think I would have been maybe 24 25 at the time I'd been working for a few years I'd saved up what I thought was a lot of money um and to be honest back then property prices weren't what they were now so mm. I thought why I, I really wanted to live on my own so I thought let me try and somewhere Um, and just to put it into context this was looking at around the 150 to 170k mark Mm. for a one bedroom flat in south london so that's pretty unheard of now in 2022 Um, and that's where i was starting Um, that was all i could afford in terms of mortgageability because i had um i guess a relatively low salary at that Mm. time so Every time I was going to viewings and making offers, my offers just kept getting um, beaten by other people. A lot of people were buying in couples, so they had, you know, either larger deposits or larger mortgageability. Mm. And it was getting really, really frustrating to the point where I thought, this is just not going to happen. So I, at that time, my mum said, why don't you just rent a flat with a friend mm. instead and put your money somewhere else? Um, and yeah that's what I ended up doing so I it is I guess a bit backwards to do it that way and Mm. sometimes I regret doing it that way because it means that now that I'm I am buying 
my first place for myself mm. I'm having to pay additional stamp duty and I've mm. missed out on all of the you know first time buyer perks but at that time back in 2015 it made sense for me to do it that way no no absolutely that's super interesting um thank you for sharing that as well and we're gonna take a deep dive into that as well um but Jax we heard some terms around sort of mortgage um, affordability um first buyers rights and things like that you want to maybe just touch on or touch on some of those terms for listeners that this may be new things to yeah so you know for most people thinking about actually buying their first home uh we know that usually the first thing they need to save up is is a deposit um now there are many different ways to save a deposit there's also um you know in terms of how much you need to save if it's your first home if you're a first-time buyer there are benefits that you have. Um, there are certain things that you are allowed to do. For example, uh, with my property, uh, it's my first home. Um, it's my first property purchase. It means I can put a deposit of just 10%. Um, whereas if you are, for example, looking to buy a, a, an investment property, usually speaking, the, the lenders will ask for a 25% deposit. So, you know, just that alone, you can see the difference in, in ability and how easy it is to actually get on a property ladder if you go through the, um, the, the residential way. Um, of course, this allows you to leverage much higher, which means I can buy a property that's more expensive and not have to fork out too much of my money. And then, of course, you've got the other schemes available, like uh, the equity loan, you have to buy equity loan, etc. You've also got um, not... Um, having to pay stamp duty which is actually which is actually a big cost for most people mm. um, especially when you, ha- when you have multiple properties but for example um, I, I didn't have to buy uh, sorry I didn't have to pay uh, stamp duty because um, you don't have to pay stamp duty for your first time buyer uh, if the property is 300,000k uh, or, or less and I made sure I actually bought property just on that dot <laughs> so my property actually cost uh, £300,000 so yeah th- these are the things that you you think about um, when you are obviously about to buy a property the deposit is, is usually one of the biggest barriers to entry um, and then the second one usually is um, your your um, income so usually lenders will uh, lend you around four and a half percent times your salary um, and then the rest will be made up from your deposit which is quite difficult depending on obviously the the, the value of the property um, so, yeah. And I also know that, you know, generally speaking, again, going back to just understanding what mortgages are, um, but it, it's a loan, right? So when these banks are lending you money, um, you present a level of risk to them. Um, and essentially the deposit and all the background checks that they do is to see the kind of risk that you, you know, present to them. And also for when it comes to um property investments or buy to let it is usually more difficult if you are somebody who hasn't owned your residential home first to then get a buy to let so it's quite uh, difficult and it's quite rare for people to start their journey uh, with a buy to let um, relative to a residential home hmm. no thanks for that Jax. really really useful um ruth uh, just on the on this so you you, you kind of fell into um, your first um, property purchase being an investment um, property. Do you want to talk us a bit more about what the process was like and probably also focusing on some of those numbers, which is what we're always interested in hearing about as well? Sure. So just to add what Jack was just saying there, yeah. um, it was quite difficult to have my first property be an investment property. Mm. So 
I the the mortgage broker that I was using at the time he suggested that if I can get my name on somebody else's property mm. so that I can appear to already be a homeowner then it will be easier for me to get an investment property so um I I was supposed to do that on my mum's house but there were a number of reasons why that didn't end up being possible mm. so my aunt allowed me to remortgage her flat um so I I paid for the remortgage in terms of the legal fees so mm. that it, she wasn't out of pocket but what that meant was that I was able to essentially have my name on her property so mm. in terms of like the banks they believed that I was now a homeowner because legally yeah. I was yeah. and then I went ahead and then got the investment property so that's how wow. I was able yeah. to get around that no, okay, that's, that's very intelligent mm. yeah Go on, yeah, I was just going to say, so essentially to in order for you to almost look um, ready to get uh, uh, an investment property, you almost have to be a technically a first time um, owner. You, you've almost had to have owned the property beforehand and that's how you was able to do that, basically. Yeah, that's I don't cool. think yeah. that still is the case now. And I okay. do think yeah. there, are, there are more mortgage lenders now that will allow you to be a first-time landlord and a first-time buyer all in one but back then that that option wasn't available to me yeah yeah it was much more uh, uh, difficult back then um I guess and that's and that's the importance of uh, going through a, a mortgage broker because yeah. they have access to various different lenders um specialist lenders that are willing to lend to uh people that may not own their own home um and even if you're someone who's got bad credit rating for example um, don't let that discard you, uh, discourage you, sorry. Um, you may still be able to get on a property ladder. It's just very important to take advantage of mortgage advisors and brokers. Hmm. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Um, so, okay. Um, so, uh, Ruth, you've um, now technically, you know, on your um, on your aunt's um, mortgage, your name is on your aunt's mortgage, so they, the lenders then said, okay, you're, you're able to actually take out a mortgage with us for um, your first investment property what happened next yeah so the first investment property I bought was um, in the Newcastle area or just outside of Newcastle and it was 55,000 pounds mm. and it was a two-bedroom flat um, like a two-bedroom masonette mm. so my deposit on that was I think 13 and a half thousand which is 25 percent mm. and that um rents out at 500 pounds per month let, let me just do some maths in my head <laughs> yeah that's please a, do that, Jack. That, that sounds like a fantastic fantastic deal, deal. Yeah, it's, it, pounds. <laughs> so you know so, some of our listeners may be listening to this uh majority of our listeners actually we've got quite listeners all over around the world but we've got some listeners in london who if you told them that a property can cost fifty five thousand pounds they may give me a backhand and say I'm, 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 I'm very, <laughs> I'm very silly. They'll say Jack's financial is no more financialing. So, <laughs> could you let us know um, if if that's actually possible? Well, I mean, it is possible because you've done it. But could you get, just talk more about how you can buy properties for that 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 price? Yeah, I think mm. well, as most of us know, it's pretty much just London and surrounding areas that are ridiculously expensive. Mm. Um, Fifty five thousand for the property that I bought is, I guess quite average for that type of property um you you can get properties that are less than fifty five thousand. you can get properties mm. that are more than that obviously but um for i mean it, it it's in a decent area there's 
schools around hospitals parks and amenities all, all those nice things um whenever I'm looking at properties I always think would I be happy to live there would mm. I be happy for my mum to live there mm. and if the answer is no then I wouldn't want to have a tenant there either hmm. wow um no absolutely um and what what else went into that when you just because that two bedroom uh, masonette um in Newcastle for a nice decent price what else went into that in terms of your thinking behind it to actually make that purchase for that particular property so interestingly this property didn't fit my overall strategy mm. um <laughs> the reason I bought this one was because so that couple that I told you guys that I met um previously mm. this was their property that they had flipped mm. so they had previously bought it at an auction for I think around forty thousand pounds and they'd spent 10 to 15 grand doing it up and they were going to sell it for 65. But because they knew me and because they didn't want to go through estate agents, mm. selling it still at, well, they sold it to me for 55,000. So less than what they could have got on the open market, but it was a quick sale for them, which mm. meant they got their money back. They knew they were helping me out in terms of getting me going and they weren't having to pay estate agency fees so it kind of was a win-win for everybody and although it didn't fit my property strategy which I guess we can come on to in a minute um I thought it's relatively a low entry point for me in terms of the 13 and a half thousand deposit um because I knew that it would cash flow at around 250 to 300 pound per month mm. I knew that I would make that initial deposit within five years mm. this wasn't going to be a property that I knew that I could add value to and refinance out mm. it was more so for me to understand the process of buying something because I'd never bought before and just you know to get me going on that journey so that the next property and the properties afterwards could be well I'd, I'd just have a better understanding of what's involved yeah yeah well, I mean, if, if they're looking to help anyone else out, I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that no, couple, that's fantastic. That couple, we need to give them a mention quite a few times in this. Episode. Yeah, as I well, said, they're fantastic. Well, 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 Peter, I think we need to invite them to the Walk Finance podcast. I agree, I agree. <laughs> how they helped Ruth and how they can help Peter and Jax. <laughs> no, that, no, that's brilliant to hear, Ruth. And you spoke about you know you you had your strategy which we're going to talk a bit more about and this wasn't on part of your strategy but one of the things that you wanted was essentially cash flow so you spoke about you know you was renting this place for um 500 pound total for that um two bedroom yeah yep and but uh the cash flow was about 200 so you was making about yeah 200 um or thereabouts profit wise can you talk a bit more about that what are some of those expenses um that ensure that you didn't get I guess the so-called full 500 pounds so the mortgage Mm. um I pay a letting agent so the letting agent takes 10% of the rent I put away an additional 10% just for you know a rainy day Mm. um so that could be you know if the boiler breaks down somewhere down the line or if I need to replace the carpets in between tenancies or something like that so Technically, that is still profit, but I put that in a separate pot so that I don't mm. have to think about it. And also the building's insurance. So I think the cash flow for that particular house is close to 300, but it's mm. somewhere between kind of 270 and 300. 
Uh, no, thank you for that. That's really, really clear. Um, and and Jack's just hearing that. So you know, one of the expenses, of course, the mortgage, which fits into some of those expenses within, you know, the five hundred uh, rent pounds rent that is uh, coming over to you for this first place. Um, so I'm hearing that um saying what well, mortgage is only a few hundred pounds. Do you want to explain a bit more about that in terms of different types? Um, yeah. when it comes to a investment property. So I think that mortgage is actually £108 per month. Wow. Um, and it's an, it's an interest-only mortgage. Mm. So most buy-to-let mortgages tend to be interest-only. So I'm, I'm only paying the interest. And at the end of the mortgage term, which is 35 years, I would be required to pay back the, the capital amount, which is, mm. I don't know, 40-something thousand um, but I'm hoping in 35 years time, the property will have increased in value. So mm. I'll be able to either sell it and pay back the bank, or I would refinance it or potentially sell something else within the portfolio to pay that off. Mm. No, that's that's yeah, that's interesting. So it, it seems to me that you're using uh, your, your asset um, almost as a cash cow. Um, yeah. So the asset, you know, is, is yes, is you've leveraged, um, you've, you're using so-called other people's money, the bank's money mm. um, to get a higher yield. Um, and you're only going for the interest only, which means, yes, like, like you said, you know, you, you, you borrow money, but rather than paying by the principal plus the interest, which is what most residential mortgages are. And by the way, if anyone is listening, um, just a bit off topic, I know it's quite common that um, some um, maybe of our parents' generation may have taken out um, interest-only mortgages on their home mm. and are really, really, really uh, struggling um, to, to, to pay it off or having um, some sort of repayment vehicle in place to pay it off. And if they're struggling, if you want any help or guidance as to kind of what to do, um, just hit us up on info at wallfinance.co.uk and we will point you into the right direction. By the way, yes. So I'm um, going back to the interest only mortgages for residential, sorry, uh, bad to lets, which is, you know, the common way of doing it. I think um, it is a great way to do things. Um, usually it works very well because as we've said, you know, the you get to sell the property at the end of the mortgage term and repay back the bank. Um, and you're paying back the bank plus, and you get to keep the profits as well, which is which is amazing, right? Mm. I guess my, my, my question for Ruth is, um, have you considered or is it, something that you're thinking about rather than selling the property and um, kind of taking out the profits back then, would you think about actually paying it off um, and keeping the asset and keeping the cash flow basically forever? Yeah, if I'm in a position to pay it off or pay it down, I definitely would do that. I don't really want to have to sell anything. I'd like mm. to be able to you know, pass it down when I have someone to pass it down to. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd, that, that would be the ideal scenario. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's really, really important. And I think, again, this is for a, a bit of knowledge and a bit of guidance for anyone listening. If you are someone who is thinking about using interest-only mortgages, uh, my guidance is uh, try and think about setting up um, some sort of what we call a repayment vehicle mm. in place, which is almost like a separate account. Uh, it could be, you know, people use different accounts, but I'll give you some, some ideas. Um, you use a separate account and you save and you can even invest. And I actually would personally encourage investment if your time horizon is 10 years or more, uh, where you grow your a portfolio. And, but your, your, your objective for that portfolio is to use that as a repayment vehicle 
for your your loan the loan that you have to pay the bank i think that's a great way to do things it's important to to set it up and i actually say you should set up a repayment vehicle regardless of whether you want to own uh, the property or not um, and the reason behind that is to reduce risk mm-hmm. um, because you know we just never know for example if you've got that many properties um, and you've got so many uh, you know uh, interest on your mortgages we highly doubt it's going to happen especially at that moment but if we go through a very deep recession and there's a lot of and house prices crash just before you're about to hmm. uh, pay back the bank then you find yourself in a bit of a pickle so it's just important to minimize risk by um, having repayment vehicles anyway which you can also use as an additional pension anyway if you decide not to um, use it to pay off the house hmm. would you say uh, I agree with yeah yeah definitely no, I love that, Jax. That's really, really useful. Um, really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, so Ruth, you 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 know, you've got this uh, first property. You're in your twenties, mid early twenties. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and then you, of course, have a strategy in place to get uh, to an, an another property. Essentially, it'll be good to know a bit more what's sort of going through your mind at this time when you're saying, you know, I'm going to do it to get another place. Um, and then l- l- let's hear a bit more about your strategy to actually get to where you are right now, which is six different, different, ty- uh, different types of properties with X amount of tenants as well. Sure. So my prop, my strategy moving forward was um, buy, refurbish, refinance, which mm. some people like to shorten down to BRR. Mm. So, I heard they call it So I, because I had been saving initially to buy my own place, I still had some money left over. So I used that next pot of money. So I think 14, 15,000 to as my deposit for the next property. Mm. Um, and then the idea was to buy something either well to buy it below market value and that could be because the property is run down and needs work doing to it or due to the seller's situation they are motivated in this case they were a motivated seller they were going through a divorce they needed a quick sale so they were selling it way below what it was worth mm. so that's how I was able to pick up this one it didn't actually need that much work doing to it so I didn't need to do a huge refurbishment it was just very minor redecoration Mm. but because I was able to secure it below the market value by the time I was ready to refinance it I was able to pull out almost all of the money and then use that pot for property number three Mm. um I was just gonna say when you say pull out all of the money what does that actually mean the way I kind of look at it is, um, you know, you, you you buy a property um, and it's the market value of that property is is X amount. Um, and for whatever reason, um, actually, before you even get there, obviously, you've taken out a mortgage and a mortgage is, you know, set on that value. Right. So we've got the loan to value. Um, that's what you get from the bank. Um, but what happens is if the value of that property goes up and you get someone to revalue it you can then remortgage. So you change the mortgage mm. and you kind of borrow more because the value of your property has gone up. Um, and, you know, Ruth um, spoke about, for example, buying below market value, which means the, the actual market value that is, is much higher than the price that she's paying for the value, for the, for, the, for the asset. Think of it like, you know, when we're doing value investing in stocks, what we're looking for is we're looking for good quality businesses 
um, but we're looking to buy it below its what we call it the intrinsic value, which is the actual value of the of the business. We want to buy it at a cheaper price than that, so that we you know have more room to gain, mm-hmm. um, more profit basically. So that's that's what kind of she's talking about when she says um, she has remortgaged. Basically, she's pulling out the equity, which is the, the you know the equity is how much you own of the property. So. So if I give you some examples in terms of numbers, yes, that might make it clearer. Yeah. This was the, the, these are the figures for the third property. So I bought it at an auction and I paid 54 and a half for it. Mm. But if, and, and it was in a bad condition, you know, it needed everything new, new boiler, new electrics, carpet, everything, kitchen, bathroom, et cetera. So if it has, if it was in a good condition, so there were other properties in that area on that block that were, you know, done up nicely, they were worth around the 80 to 85,000 mark. So because I, you know, researched that area well, I knew that this property would be worth 80 to 85,000 once I had done a substantial refurbishment. So that's why I was happy to buy it for the 55,000. I spent 15,000 doing it up Mm. and then six months later and we can come on to the six month rule in a minute but six months later I was then able to refinance it to its new true value Mm. which was 80,000 that's what the bank said we think it's worth this so the initial money that I had put into the property which was my deposit and Mm. refurbishment I was able to withdraw that because that was that was essentially built in Mm. and now i had a new mortgage at the new value of eighty thousand. wow no that makes that makes sense and then um when you done that you was well um i don't know about your fourth place but did that mean that eventually you can pretty much repeat the same process again to get onto your fourth place i could have but (laughs) by that point (laughs) i I didn't and um um I took a bit of a hiatus, a, mm. a two-year hiatus, and um, I changed strategy again for property mm. number four. So the first three properties were by Tolets. Mm. They were all going really well, but I knew that I wanted to do something bigger. So I decided I was going to do HMOs. Mm. Um, and by this point, I had started doing it with a friend. So um, someone who we had quite complementing skill sets. So his background was construction. My background at that time was estate agency. So we we were able to work together and be able to go to investors to say, we would like to borrow some money Mm. to put into property and we would pay the investors interest rather than them just having their money sat in the bank. Mm. earning not very much interest so yeah by by property four five and six we kind of started working with investors and essentially using other people's money wow yeah wow. i think it, it gets to a place where you know unless you're someone who's generating so much cash from let's say your your, your own personal business or um, your career and even then it's difficult it's difficult to build a property empire um well it, it takes a lot of time if you are not making use of uh, leverage mm. um, and leverage comes in different ways. And, and you know, uh, Ruth has talk, spoken about leverage from, you know, borrowing from the bank, but also borrowing from investors. Now, Ruth, you mentioned uh, the term HMO. Uh, would you like to uh, talk about what that actually is? Uh, what do the letters stand for? 
HMO stands for a house of multiple occupation or occupancy, um, but essentially it's a house share. So when there are two or more unrelated people living in a house, um, up to five people or more, then it would be considered an HMO. Um, in different councils, they have slightly different rules. So an HMO might be considered four people in certain councils or six people or five people, but essentially it's a house share. Hmm. So you, the, your first three were pretty much single lets and then you, your next three, making it six, were HMOs. What was the reason? Is it And it could be, be purely because of the increase in money that you receive, but what was the reason for that jump from single lets to HMOs? 